This is the Daily Signal podcast for Monday, March 29th. I'm Robert Bluey. And I'm Virginia Allen. On today's show, I talk with Josh Jones, a senior fellow in border security at the Texas Public Policy Foundation and a former prosecutor with the U.S. Department of Justice. We discuss the connection between illegal immigration and criminal organizations. We also read your letters to the editor and share a good news story about a foster child who was just adopted by his teacher. Before we get to today's show, we want to tell you about one of the most popular resources on the Heritage Foundation website, the Guide to the Constitution. More than 100 scholars have contributed to create a unique line-by-line analysis of our Constitution. The guide is intended to provide a brief and accurate explanation of each clause of the Constitution as envisioned by the framers and as applied in contemporary law. There has never been a more important time to have an understanding of our founding document. So if you want to learn more about the Constitution, go ahead and visit heritage.org constitution or simply search for Heritage Guide to the Constitution. Now stay tuned for today's show coming up next. I am joined by Josh Jones, a senior fellow in border security at the Texas Public Policy Foundation and a former prosecutor with the U.S. Department of Justice. Mr. Jones, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Virginia. So today uh, we are talking about a subject that is on the minds of, of many, many Americans, and that is immigration, illegal immigration, and you have just recently um, authored a study called Joined at the Hip, Organized Crime and Illegal Immigration. So let's begin by talking about what role criminal organizations and gangs do play in illegal immigration. Sure. Uh, so there's, there's a distinction between transnational gangs and transnational cr- criminal organizations. The tra- transnational gangs, or what, what we refer to as transnational gangs, are uh, gangs that uh, c- come out primarily of, of El Salvador, and MS-13 and 18th Street are the two primary gangs. Uh, those gangs control territory in what we call the Northern, Northern Triangle countries, which are Guatemala, El Salvador, and Honduras. And oftentimes the reason that uh, migrants uh, join these caravans or, or, or move up uh, toward the United States using a smuggler is because of the violence uh, caused by the transnational gangs in, in their home countries. Uh, then as you move into Mexico, you know, obviously there are cartels or, or what we call transnational criminal organizations. And, and these are uh, much uh, larger, much more complex uh, criminal organizations that, that function more like businesses or, or corporations. Uh, they, they too control territory throughout Mexico. Uh, as migrant caravans come north, uh, they tax uh, the traffickers to move the caravans through their territory. Uh, and often, oftentimes there's some interplay too at the U.S. border where the transnational criminal organizations will use uh, the migrant caravans to, uh, to further their drug trafficking operations in, into the United States. So, so basically every step of the way from the southwest border down to the northern triangle, uh, you're, 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 you're pretty much on uh, territory either controlled by gangs or, or by cartels. So these individuals in countries um, that you mentioned, El Salvador, Honduras, and Guatemala, 
they're wanting to leave their country because of the violence, but then uh, in turn, the same individuals who are responsible for furthering that violence are also the ones uh, that are really deeply entrenched in a part of of this process of individuals uh, migrating and getting across the border illegally, correct? That's, that's correct. And it's not just violence, it's economic opportunity. Uh, they see economic opportunity in the United States uh, that they don't have down there. But but those two things are intertwined in Central America, the economic opportunity or the lack thereof and, and the violence or the lack of security in, in those countries. So how do local law enforcement and government officials interact with these criminal groups, with these gangs? I mean, do they have any power to, to stop the violence? Do they try to engage to stop the violence? Uh, in, in Latin America, the criminal justice systems are, are not very well developed. They're, they're far behind what we have here in the United States. And, and oftentimes corruption is, is a huge, huge problem down there, particularly uh, when we're talking about those countries, particularly in, in Honduras and Mexico and to a lesser extent, uh, also in Guatemala and, and El Salvador. So the, the criminal justice systems really are, are not uh, capable of controlling uh, the, the the violent crime that, that the gangs perpetrate down there. Uh, and in El Salvador, for example, instead of trying to uh, take enforcement action against MS-13, the government actually uh, negotiates with, with the gangs in order to reduce violence, which is, which is not, a, it's not a great scenario. It's not a great uh, long-term solution to, to a crime problem. Wow. And talk a little bit more. You, you mentioned that economic impact, but talk a little bit more about how um, that organized crime does directly impact the economic opportunity of, you know, a, a single mom or, you know, a family that's, you know, just trying to make ends meet. Sure. Uh, so, so as I said, these, these gains control territory in, in the Northern Triangle countries and what they'll do uh, in their territories is actually tax the people who are trying to live there. Uh, so in, in addition to being taxed by the, the, their federal governments down there, that they're also taxed by the uh, gangs that control their territories and uh, they're, you know, the, 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 the economic development is, 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 is way behind what we have here in the United States. So the job market's really not there to support uh, the populations down there. So they're, they're, they're kind of in a situation where it's really hard to find jobs. And, and, and for those who can find jobs, uh, they are, are taxed by, by the, the, the local street gangs. So, you know, oftentimes the reason to come to the United States is just to avoid a, to avoid gangs, and B, to, to come to a place where they can actually find a job. Wow. What happens if those individuals can't pay the taxes that are demanded of them of these gangs? It's, it's, oftentimes, it's, it, the, the gangs resort to violence. They, uh, they resort to extortion, kidnapping. Uh, they do whatever they can to, to squeeze money out of the people in, in their territory. And, and, and another thing, too, that I, I think in El Salvador and I think also in Honduras, the, their, the biggest part of their, of their gross domestic product is actually remittances coming from the United States. So they'll have family members in the United States that have migrated either legally or illegally, and, and the, the migrants will send money down to their family members in, in uh, El Salvador. And oftentimes that's money used to pay the local gangs so that the, the gangs will, will leave them alone. Yeah, yeah. So I want to understand a little bit more about, you know, the kind of the journey that these individuals take as they're seeking to get to the U.S. Uh, could you explain, and you mentioned this in your piece, but could you explain a bit 
uh, about the difference between smuggling and trafficking. Uh, and do we know percentage-wise how many illegal immigrants are being smuggled over the border versus trafficked over? So when I use those words uh, in, in this in this case, the, 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 the immigrants that move by, by smuggling or, or by hiring smugglers are those who will pay uh, they're typically a very small organization, uh, trafficking organization, uh, that they'll pay anywhere from $2,000 to $10,000 usually to be moved uh, from Central America up into the United States. Uh, and the, the, the people they're paying, the smugglers, have connections throughout that route so they can, they can make it possible. And, and, and these days they can almost guarantee entry because especially if it's a undocumented, uh, undocumented uh, child, uh, coming across because the Biden administration is, are, is, is letting all the undocumented uh, children, aliens come, in, come into the U.S. Uh, a trafficker, on the other hand, typically uh, is moving uh, people involuntarily. Uh, and, and so they would be your sex traffickers, your, uh, the, the, the people who are, are uh, in the business of, of forced labor. Uh, and so they are, are oftentimes more intertwined with the criminal organizations along that route, particularly in Mexico. Okay. And for those arriving at the border right now, you know, we're seeing that thousands of migrants are arriving at our southern border daily right now. How many of those people uh, used a criminal organization to get them to the border, worked with a criminal organization? Uh, well, the, in, in a way, they're all criminal organizations. The, the, the smugglers are, are moving people into the country illegally, so and, and they're profiting from it. So they, in, in a sense, they are criminal organizations as, as well. Uh, and, and most of them are, are being smuggled across. Most of them are hiring uh, trafficking organizations to use their connections to, to smuggle them up to the border and then to uh, uh, instruct them on how to best get across the border. Okay. Uh, which sometimes involves just coming in and crossing the bridge and claiming asylum. And sometimes it means trying to go across the, the, the Rio Grande River, or sometimes it means just going through open desert. And um, how much are these, are these individuals paying the smuggling groups to get them across? Is there some exchange of, of goods, services? Usually if we're talking about a smuggling group, it's, it's a flat fee. And we've heard those that that fee can run anywhere between two and two or three thousand dollars up to ten thousand uh, dollars, and that normally the, the price fluctuates by where the migrant is originating. So if, if a migrant uh, comes from outside Central America, oftentimes uh, migrants from Asia trying to get to the United States will first come to Central America or South America and then be moved up, uh, move themselves up in, in a in a caravan. Or by using a smuggler. Uh, if, if you're Asian, you're, you're paying over ten thousand. You're paying upwards of twenty or thirty thousand. Uh, if you're Central American, where obviously they, they probably can't afford that, uh, they're they're paying much less. And then, uh, and, and kind of the, the dark side of it too is that when, when migrants can't pay, uh, that's when uh, the smugglers or the traffickers find other ways of of making money off of them, which which is where sex sex trafficking comes in or forced labor comes in. Okay. Well, and I know in your study, you also talk a little bit about how these individuals are often used for drug trafficking. Could you explain that? Sure. There, there are some scenarios that, that we've heard kind of anecdotally from from uh, drug traffickers themselves or, or, or from people who have seen this, who have experienced this, the, the, the Border Patrol guys. 
at, at times when there's a when there's a very large migrant caravan moving up uh, through a cartel's territory, they will have they'll instruct the caravan to go in one direction, and the CBP in that area is, is going to be directed toward the caravan coming up in one area, and then they'll move drug shipments and in an opposite area, in a different area where, where they know that the uh, Border Patrol officers are, are not going to be there. Uh, in, in other cases, we, we've heard of uh, of the drug trafficking organizations on the border uh, working with the migrants uh, coming up with the smugglers where they will allow them to go through, but they'll instruct them to carry backpacks or, or machila is the, is the Spanish word for it. And the backpacks will be full of methamphetamine or cocaine or, or heroin. Uh, and then they'll tell them once they get to the, to the United States to, to go to a certain point at, 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 at a certain time and, and hand the uh, drugs or the backpacks over to uh, one of the people in the United States. So let's talk a little bit about solutions. Um, right now, we are looking at a crisis at our border. So what what actions should the Biden administration take today to keep migrants from entering the country illegally? I think the short term most important thing that the Biden administration can begin to do better is, is just messaging. Through the Biden campaign, when he was running for president, he was talking, he was using words like amnesty and he was, he was, uh, he was essentially uh, using a vernacular that's going to signal to Central America that if he's elected president, it's going to be time to come up because the, the, the gates are going to be open, that the border is going to be open. Uh, so though that actually started before he became president. Once he becomes president, one of the first things he does is, is uh, undo a lot of uh, President Trump's uh, immigration policy, which in, in a lot of ways was, was pretty sensible. Uh, and so that furthers that message, echoes that message that the, the, the borders open, the gates are open, come on up. And then they, they and, and then Secretary Mayorkas here this past uh, Sunday began to, to change the, the, uh, the messaging a bit by saying the border's closed, it's not time yet, and they still they still use the word yet, uh, mm-hmm. which in, it would indicate there will be a time in the future when it would be okay for them to come up. Uh, and again, the messaging is just not strong enough that the border is, is not in fact open, and that uh, it's the, the and, and in fact the, the the border never will, will be truly open, but in, in the sense that people will be will be able to come into the United States unaccounted for. Uh, I think that messaging has to become stronger and more consistent from the Biden administration. And and uh, looking kind of forward, one thing that they could do, Biden could do that that they have uh, talked about is create a, a process for handling asylum claims in Central America, so that uh, the migrants don't have to make that that very dangerous journey up to the United States to file. They can file asylum from, from where they are, and uh, if and, and very few asylum claims from Central America get granted, but if they're in the five or ten percent that do get granted, then that can be handled uh, where they are. And if they are granted asylum, then they can make that journey up to the United States, knowing that when they get the, to the border, they'll be allowed to cross. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think long term, the solution is 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 to work uh, with, the, with the Central American countries, and, and Biden has talked about doing this uh, to to improve security down there to reform their criminal justice systems to uh, to make it safer to live in those countries so that fewer people will will be wanting to leave to come to come to the United States. Uh, one thing that I, I disagree with is the, the kind of the direct payments to, to the uh, countries he's proposed 
essentially a $4 billion blank check that he's going to send to, send to Central American countries. And the problem is that these are very corrupt governments down there. Yeah. Uh, I think a better approach would be to incentivize investment by U.S. corporations down there so that we can try to get kind of capital down into Central America so that you know, the, our corporations can create, create jobs down there and start to build their economy that way. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that because ultimately it seems like that would be the solution is to strengthen these nations so that individuals don't want to leave so that they can support their families so that they can feel safe so that they can uh, really provide, have jobs. Um, and the best way to do that we so often see is, you know, through industry, through creating those economic opportunities. I, I think that's absolutely the, the long-term solution is, is to build up Central America. And, and again, the Biden administration is, is, is talking uh, in, in the right way in, in that regard. Uh, but I, I just, I, I don't think direct payments to, to the corrupt governments is, is going to get it done. I, I think we have to find creative ways of, of getting uh, U.S. companies to go down there and invest and, and to, 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 to build their, their, their resort industry to get, you know, to, to make, to get tourist tourism going down in those mm -hmm. countries. Mm -hmm. and, and to, to do those types of things are, are, are what will bridge the gap between where we are and where they are uh, in a way that should reduce the, uh, the uh, problem of, of illegal immigration in Central America in the future. Yeah. So if, you know, if America continues right now on the trajectory that it's on and thousands of illegal immigrants continue to arrive at our southern border and be released into the country, who ultimately are the winners and losers of that scenario? Well, the, the winners are the criminal organizations that either force them up or and, and or uh, profit from them along the way. So the the uh, cartels in Mexico that are taxing the, the caravans as they come north are profiting. Uh, the the uh, smugglers themselves, obviously, or, or the the, the uh, traffickers themselves, are, are, are profiting. Uh, the sex trafficking industry is 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 going to profit from it. It's essentially the you know the, the kind of the worst parts of our society are 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 doing well when uh, we have immigration crises like like we have right now. Wow, Mr. Jones, I so appreciate the work that you are doing on this issue. You're really on the forefront of it. Tell us how our listeners can follow your work and keep up with what you all are doing uh, down there in Texas. Sure. So I, I'm a senior fellow at the Texas Public Policy Foundation, which is the largest state. Uh, Oriented Policy Foundation. Obviously, we do a lot of uh, work that covers the entire country, and and, is, and we do, we do our work in Washington D.C. as well. Uh, but our, uh, the website www.texaspolicy.com. There are several fellows in addition to me that are, are doing work in this area. We have live streams twice a week, and uh, and, and yeah, and we're, we're publishing and and getting the word out as much as we can. That this is a crisis and, and that there are reasonable solutions to the crisis. Mm -hmm. Well, we'll be sure to link uh, your report, Joined at the Hip, Organized Crime and Illegal Immigration, in today's show notes. But we so, so appreciate your time and all the work that you're doing on this issue. Thank you. Conservative women, conservative feminists. It's true. We do exist. I'm Virginia Allen, and every Thursday morning on Problematic Women, Lauren Evans and I sort through the news to bring you stories and interviews that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women. That is, women whose views and opinions are often excluded or mocked by those on the so-called feminist left. 
We talk about everything from pop culture to policy and politics. Search for Problematic Women wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for sending us your letters to the editor. Each Monday, we feature our favorites on this show. Virginia, who's up first? Well, one of our listeners left us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, writing, It's like NPR for conservatives, but better. Straight, honest news with a deeper dive into important topics of the day, with very interesting interviews with excellent guests. And Renee Herman writes, Dear Daily Signal, I appreciate getting the news from the Daily Signal. It offers me an understanding of today's headlines and a better perspective on what's really going on. It also prepares me to have good conversations with others. The information I get from the Daily Signal helps me get the facts with a right perspective, so I can better process what I believe and prepares me to share my thoughts with others in a civil way. Thank you for your part in bringing America to the table in a healthier way and equipping me to have conversations that actually may open a pathway for positive change. Your letter could be featured on next week's show, so send us an email at letters at dailysignal.com or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It's because of support from listeners like you that we can continue to produce podcasts like Heritage Explains and SCOTUS 101. And you can help us keep it up by going to www.heritage.org slash podcast today to make your tax-deductible gift. Virginia, you have a good news story to share with us today. Over to you. Thanks so much, Rob. In 2019, Colorado middle school math teacher Finn Lanning had a surprising interaction with one of his favorite students. Lanning recounted the conversation with student Damien in an interview with MSN News. He's smart and funny, um, and he was always a student that stood out. And then one day he just came to me and said, I'm not coming back to school. Damien was in foster care, and social services were struggling to find a home to place him in. Damien had kidney disease and required dialysis. Because no foster family was able to meet his medical needs, he was going to have to go live at a hospital until he could receive a kidney transplant and recover from the operation. It hit me like a ton of bricks. I mean, you just can't sit across from somebody that you care about and hear them say something like that and know that you have room to help. Lanning decided he would foster Damien. The young student was excited to have a home again, but a bit unsure about living with his teacher, as he told MSN News. I was like, yes, I'd get out of the hospital. But I was like, my math teacher out of all the people. But two years have now passed, and Lanning and Damien have gotten along very well. So well, in fact, that Lanning has adopted Damien as his own son. MSN News spoke to the pair recently about the choice to become father and son. Even though it's been absolutely the hardest thing I've ever done, I wouldn't trade it for anything. I'll keep him. 15-year-old Damien says it's like a dream come true. Virginia, thank you so much for sharing that story with us. It's always so uplifting to hear these on uh, Mondays to start our week. We appreciate it. Yeah, it is a great way to start the week with some some good news. We need more good news in our world. (laughs) We certainly do. Well, we're going to leave it there for the Daily Signal podcast. You can find us on the Ricochet Audio Network. All of our shows are available at dailysignal.com slash podcasts. You can also subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. And be sure to listen every weekday by adding the Daily Signal podcast as part of your Alexa flash briefing. 
If you like what you hear, please leave us a review and a five-star rating. It means a lot to us and helps us spread the word to other listeners. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Daily Signal and Facebook.com slash The Daily Signal News. Have a great week. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is executive produced by Rob Bluey and Virginia Allen. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. For more information, visit DailySignal.com.